This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey everyone, as part of our continuing summer series, we're looking back on some of our previous episodes. Last year, I talked with Adam Cronkright about Of By Four, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization he co founded, which aims to replace politicians with everyday people. In case you missed it, we wanted to share some highlights from that interview with you. So, uh, Adam, you know, you've been in this field, I guess, the, the democracy field now for about a decade uh, in, in several different capacities. What was your goal in starting Of By Four? Yeah, so it was a few years ago that I was helping to launch a global network of organizations and practitioners working with and advancing democratic lotteries. They're great people doing important work, but they're mostly going at a top-down approach. And it felt like we're really missing a bottom-up kind of movement for change and that we weren't reaching people. And so I just started talking with people. Uh, in a year, I talked with over 400 folks in 10 different states, you know, on front steps and on sidewalks canvassing in different parts of the country. And what I found was that when people hear about this vision of using democratic lotteries to, to do away with so much of the stuff that we hate about politics, folks from all political stripes really got behind it. When I saw that, it was right around that time that a guy named George contacted me. He'd been on a different path, but ended up in the same place. And you know, we saw that no one was really looking to reach people and build power in this way, and that we were going to have to get it started ourselves. The goal with Up By Four is to free America from politicians, the parties, and all their BS, and give us a government that actually works and that does right by us as a people. And the way that we're going to do that is by replacing elections with democratic lotteries. It's super interesting. And it, most people wouldn't know. I mean, I didn't know that this is something that's been around for a very long time, rooted in you know, ancient Greek democracy. But you know, how does it actually work logistically? You know, just very kind of briefly, uh, how would a democratic lottery work? Yeah. So just before I explain how it works, uh, I want to make sure we're clear on kind of what it is for folks, because it's, it's new for a lot of folks. Sure. So you know, a democratic lottery is the way representatives are supposed to be selected in a democracy. You know, it's, as you mentioned, it was the way they were originally selected, and uh, it's the way that we should be selecting members of Congress. And that's for two main reasons. So a democratic lottery does two important things very well. The first is that it cuts out the division and the corruption and the dysfunction that we get with elections. There's no stump speeches, there's no super PACs, there's no attack ads, there's no campaigns, because none of that makes any difference with a lottery. And the second thing it does is that it gives us real representation. So a democratic lottery calls on the service of everyday citizens, people that look like us, they live like us, and it does it in a way that ensures that the final group reflects the makeup of the population. Right? So you have young and old, rich and poor, you have liberals, conservatives, moderates, you have nurses and truckers, teachers and farmers, and all the different perspectives and lived experiences in, in the population. So that's what it is. And how does it work? So usually it has two rounds. And so the first round of the lottery, you, you try to cast a real wide net. You select a large number of people 
and ask them if they're willing and able to serve. And from everyone who says that they are, then you take them and their demographic information and you run them through a second lottery selection so that you end up with a group that's the right size and that reflects the demographics of the, the population. You talked a little bit about the perceived advantages of the system, getting rid of corruption, et cetera. Can you go a little bit more into that? You know, isn't basically the idea of electing officials democracy in the first place? I don't think so. We believe this myth that elections mean democracy. But to me, you know, democracy means that the power to govern is in the hands of the people, you know, that we govern ourselves. You know, electing a politician or a group of politicians to rule us, to govern us, that to me is not democracy. When we talk about corruption, what we're doing when we're doing an election is we are awarding power to those who can win and keep winning cutthroat popularity contests. And so what are the types of people we often get? The types of people who enter those contests are often you know, slick, ambitious performers. Mm-hmm. And they have to spend most of the time fundraising and attacking each other to kind of collect our votes so that they can go off and do the bidding of their parties and the special interests that back their campaign. And they're not in the same boat as us, right? So as representatives, they're supposed to represent us. And yet they're not going to be affected by the decisions they make the same way we are. Most of the folks in, in Congress are millionaires. You know, they have, you know, you know, a future in politics or in lobbying. And so not only are they oftentimes just to get into those positions already in the pockets of their party and, and special interests, but they don't have an incentive to have our back. You know, they could sell out the public and do pretty good for themselves. But is it not a, a problem that, you know, a lot of these citizen representatives would not have a lot of experience, perhaps not a lot of education? I guess Donald Trump is a perfect example of someone who came in with, you know, no experience, it was problematic for a lot of people. Do our politicians need experience? It's a great question. First, we need to distinguish between different types of politicians. So Donald Trump was the president. You know, that's the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And that's the side of government that's tasked with getting things done, executing the, the will of the people, so to speak, running the government from day to day. And that side of government, yes, you need qualified, experienced administrators, people who know how to get things done, lead teams, you know, meet deadlines, etc. When we talk about the legislative branch, Congress or state legislatures, those are our representatives. So we need to be clear on like what a representative is supposed to do. Our representatives are supposed to represent us on the big values questions. Right? So how do we want to live together? What rules do we want to live by? How do we want to spend our tax money? And so you have experts and, you know, affected stakeholders. They provide testimony, staff draft legislation. And then our representatives are supposed to wrestle with the pros and cons, think about what's most important to us, and then make the final call on our behalf. And then the executive branch is supposed to go do it, right? Make it happen. Mm. That's how it's supposed to work. And so when we think about qualifications, what qualifications, what experience do representatives need? The three most important ones are they need to be like us. They need to have the same struggles, the same fears, the same hopes. They need to have our values. They need to be in the same boat as us. You know, they need to be affected by the decisions the same way we're going to. It's the only way we can trust that they're going to have our back and not sell us out is if they're in the same boat as us. You know, and if they sink the ship, they too are going down. And the third thing they need is to not have their hands tied. You know, they need to be able to follow their moral compass and steer the ship in the right direction. And so with elections, what do you get? You get a group that never is representative of us, you know, as, as, a, as a population. They don't look like most of us. They don't talk like us. They don't live like us. They're certainly not in the same boat as we are. And 
they have their hands tied the moment they go in. They're, in, they're oftentimes, just to get there, they have political debts that they racked up. They have a party to please. And so to me, it's like the least qualified bunch to represent us. And so then when we think about everyday Americans selected by lottery, a democratic lottery is designed to give you a group that is just like us as a population. Those folks are going to be still in the same boat as us because they're called on to serve one term, and then they're going back to their home just down the street. They're going back to working alongside of us as, as accountants and as waitresses you know, and as engineers. Right? And so they've got to live with the consequences of their decision the same way we do. Yeah. And then the fact that they were selected in a lottery, they don't owe their position to any party or any donors or anyone else. And so they're free to actually follow their conscience and decide what they think is best, what they think is right. Something that we don't see a lot of in politics. These days. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Is America ready for this type of system? I mean, you know, this happened, like you said, in many European countries, but things seem to often take a lot longer here. Or, you know, things seem to be, you know, there's a lot more gridlock here. Things take longer to happen. So, I mean, is this realistic? You know, when Americans hear about this, they're often really eager for it. I, I know that from having canvassed in different parts of the country. But one of the first things that we did as a by four is that we went out and get hard data on this question. And so we contracted one of the most respected polling firms in the country, Survey USA, to run a robust national poll. And what we found was that the first time that they ever hear about this, you ask Americans across the political spectrum, and two thirds say that a Congress of everyday people selected by lottery would be better or much better than a Congress of politicians that are elected. Most of the rest are just undecided and unsure. And there's only a sliver that say that they think it might be worse. And you might think, okay, well, that's, you know, it's just a poll. What happens when the rubber meets the road? Are people actually going to want this change? And so we asked them, would you support a constitutional amendment to change out congressional elections for a democratic lottery? And a majority of every sub-demographic of the American population supported that. And that's just the first time that they're reading about it yeah. in a poll. Yeah. And so as we get this message out there, as we show people this, this journey that the citizen representatives went on, you're going to be able to see for yourself what this vision for democracy looks like. And so the sky is the limit as far as America's desire for this, because it's been a long, long time that folks all across the political spectrum are fed up with the way things run in Washington. We don't trust Congress. doesn't matter which party is, is in control. We don't trust Congress. We don't feel like we're represented for the most part. Yeah. And the division in this country just keeps getting deeper. And that is a direct result of the fact that we use elections. Talking about the political divisiveness, I, I think it's safe to say that there are some dangerous elements in our society these days, you know, far-right extremist groups, QAnon conspiracy theorists. How would you ensure that they, these kind of fringe elements, that those people are not essentially governing us? I mean, or, or would you argue that they are representative society and, and should be included? Well, I think that extremism, you know, populism, conspiracy theories, they tend to take root when people don't feel good about where things are heading. And they feel powerless to do anything. They don't feel like they have any say. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of Americans across the political spectrum that feel that way. And for different reasons. But it's been a long time now that the parties in Congress don't represent most Americans. And you know we are completely shut out from major decisions that affect our lives. And that can make people desperate. And desperate people you know, often believe and do desperate things. And so I think that that's an important thing that we need to see is that like, 
the way that you handle that in the long run is that you give people a seat at the table so that they feel like they can have a say and they can have some control over over their lives, you know, their community, their country. And we all deserve that as Americans. Sure. And when when people with fringe beliefs get selected in a democratic lottery, they have to engage and reach decisions with many, many other people who don't have those beliefs, who don't see things the way that they do. Yeah. This question of, you know, like what happens if we end up governed by people, you know, with, with extremist views? You know, it's it's similar to a question sometimes I get from folks more on the right, which is like, what happens if you pick a bunch of criminals, right, by chance, right? And that's just not how the democratic lottery works. You, you're not gonna by chance get a hundred men when you select the Senate because the democratic lottery controls for that. And so you have 50 men and 50 women every time. It's the same way when it comes to people's views. You're, you're gonna have a handful of folks who have fringe views on both sides and they have to engage with others. And you always find what happens is everybody becomes less hardcore, you know, because when it's not being filtered through pundits and politicians and we're actually engaging with each other as people, we see that the other side isn't crazy. The other side doesn't hate America. The other side isn't stupid. They have some legitimate reasons why they feel that way. I might not agree with them, but I see where they're coming from. And and that is exactly the type of thing that we need in this country. We need people to feel like they you know, have a legitimate seat at the table, but they're not completely powerless, just watching this play out on TV. And we need to start getting together and and actually talking with each other as Americans. Well, Adam, I want to say thank you so much for for joining us today. This has been been really interesting, something I really haven't thought about before. So thank you for enlightening us. Thanks, Tyler.